<laughs> the fleeting nature of life, Psalm 39. Let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you, we bless you, we glorify you. Uh, you are God, and beside you there is no other. Um, thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And as we listen to your word tonight, help us to be not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Thank you for taking the time to write it down, and reminding us of what you have to say about all of life. Um, again, just thank you and praise you, and we glorify you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 39, the fleeting nature of life, for the choir director of Jeduthum, a psalm of David. Let me read the whole psalm, and then we're going to break it down verse by verse. I said, I will guard my ways so that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle as long as the wicked are in my presence. I was speechless and quiet. I kept silent, even from speaking good, and my pain intensified. My heart grew hot within me as I mused, a fire burned. I spoke with my tongue. Lord, reveal to me the end of my life and the number of my days. Let me know how short-lived I am. You, indeed, have made my days short in length, and my lifespan is nothing is in and my lifespan is nothing in your is in your sight in, as, is as nothing in your sight. Yes, every mortal man is only a vapor, Selah. Certainly, man walks about like a mere shadow. Indeed, they frantically rush around in vain, gathering possessions without knowing who will get them. Now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the taunt of fools. I am speechless. I do not open my mouth because of what you have done. Remove your torment from me. I fade away because of the force of your hand. You discipline a man with punishment for sin, consuming like a moth what is precious to him. Every man is only a vapor. Hear my prayer, Lord, and listen to my cry for help. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a foreigner residing with you, a temporary resident like all my fathers. Turn your angry gaze from me so that I may be cheered up before I die and am gone. All right. Let's break this down. Verses 1 through 3, talk about David's silence. Talk about David's silence. He says, I said, I will guard my way so that I may not sin with my tongue. It's like, it's not, it seems like we're, we're, we're coming into the middle of a conversation David's having with himself. Because it's like in the, middle of, in the middle of thought, and sometimes we persuade ourselves, I told myself I wasn't going to do this or that or other, and we're talking to ourselves. I said to myself I wasn't going to do this, and that's what David is doing here. It says, I said, I will guard my ways so that I may not sin with my tongue. He remembers his resolve to be cautious and to, be, and, to circum, and to walk circumspectly in his ways, not to offend with his tongue. He said, I said, I will guard my ways so that I won't sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle as long as the wicked are in my presence. As long as the wicked are in my presence. He was afraid to say the wrong thing in front of wicked people. He was concerned with saying the wrong thing in front of wicked people. And sometimes we do have to be very careful what we say in front of non-believers. Very careful. Because they can accuse us of blaspheming God. They can accuse us of criticizing our God. If, you're, if your God is so good, why are you talking that way about your God? Sometimes we have to be very cautious about what we say. We should be careful not to publicly display our questions, our suspicions, and our doubts sometimes. We have to be careful sometimes not to publicly always display that. And sometimes that's not, that's not easy. Sometimes we want to say what we want to say. <laughs> and sometimes we, we want to say things, sometimes it may need to be said, but not, not necessarily the right time. Um, 
The book of Proverbs talks a lot about wisdom and what we say in our words, and, and, and our words with wisdom. And it's in Proverbs from chapter 25, it says, a word spoken at the right time is like gold apples on a silver tray. A wise correction to a receptive ear is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold. He said a word spoken at the right time is like gold apples on a silver tray. Not just the word spoken. He said the word spoken at the right time. Sometimes it's not the right time to say something, even if it's true. And that requires discipline. You know, the Bible talks about in James um, about the tongue. And only God can control the tongue. The Holy Spirit can control the tongue. Because sometimes we, we just want to say what we want to say. You know, especially when somebody makes us mad and we feel justified in saying what we want to say. Um, and sometimes we can just speak and it's not good. We have to use wisdom in what we say and when we say it. Sometimes we, we want to say, ooh, you know, we're like, if I wasn't saved, I would, ooh, you would be glad I'm saved. You know, no, you better be glad you're saved. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we th- like, who are you threatening? You know, if I wasn't saved, I would. Who are you threatening? You know, we want to we say what we want to say. A word spoken at the right time. Sometimes silence is not to preserve your reputation, but to preserve his. Sometimes shutting up glorifies God. Sometimes shutting up doesn't just even sometimes protect you, but it glorifies God. And sometimes we just need to shut up. And David said, I resolved that I'm not going to say anything in the presence of the wicked so that they won't accuse me of this, that, or the other and look negatively upon my God. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, For the one who wants to love life and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Those who want to love life and to see good days must keep his tongue from, from evil, he says. Sometimes it, James says the tongue is a, like a, like a it's, it, you cannot tame it, the book, it says in the book of James. The tongue can be a dangerous thing, a dangerous thing. And even back to, to Proverbs, he says, um, a wise, he says, a word spoken at the right time is like gold apples on a silver tray. And he's talking about a reference to images of beauty. The right speech at the right time is he's referencing the images of beauty, a decorative motif in jewelry, he says, a wise correction to a receptive ear. See, sometimes even what you, want, what you want to say, which may be right and true, the person you're saying it to it will, will not receive it because it's not the right time. They're not in the right frame of mind to, to receive it. A wise correction to a receptive ear is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold. So we have to be mindful of when to speak and also sometimes who to speak it to. Sometimes you've got to be careful, be mindful of who you're talking to. What you want to say is not appropriate to the person you want to say it to. Whether that's your boss, your mother, <laughs> your father, whomever, be mindful of what we say. Uh, sorry. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle as long as the wicked are in my presence. I was speechless and quiet, he says. I kept silent even from speaking good. He said, I didn't even want to say anything good. I'm just, I'm just afraid of saying anything. I'm just going to keep quiet. I'm not even going to say anything good. And my pain intensified, he said. 
He said his pain intensifies. His silence caused pain to intensify. So sometimes we really want to say something, and holding, holding it in causes us um, uh, pain. Grief not expressed swells and it grows. When you're in grief sometimes and you, and you can't express it, it swells and it grows. Silence is awful to somebody who is suffering. And David sounded like he was suffering here. And silence, when you're, in, when you're suffering and you have to remain silent, that's hard. When you're suffering and you have to remain silent. Sometimes God will require you to remain silent even in your suffering. And as believers, that is hard. And you say, but God, but you know they're wrong. When God says, don't say nothing, trust me. And you're about to burst because you want to say something so bad. His pain intensified, it says. He said, my heart grew hot within me. And he's talking about pent-up emotions. And in this particular instance, I think he's talking about his anger. David was angry. And he had pent-up emotions, and it was causing exasperation. He said, my heart was hot within me. He said, as I muse, which means to think to oneself. He was, he was absorbed in thought. He was thinking about this. As I was mused, as I was absorbed in thought about this, my heart grew hot within me and intensified. As I thought about this more and more, sometimes you just don't need to think about it. See, sitting and just thinking about it all the time makes it worse. He says, as I thought, as I was absorbed in thought and intensified, my, the pain grew more intense within me. He said, a fire burned. Another, same thing, pent-up emotions, waiting to escape. He said, the fire would just burn within me. Waiting to escape. I wanted to burst. This, it wanted to come out so bad. We see an example of this in, in a book of Jeremiah, chapter 20. And this is Jeremiah speaking. He said, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You seized me and prevailed. I am a laughingstock all the time. Everyone ridicules me. This is Jeremiah, God's prophet. He said, everybody's ridiculing me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I proclaim violence and destruction. I'm warning the people, I'm telling them what's coming. Violence and destruction. Because the word of the Lord has become for me constant disgrace and and derision. He said, I'm preaching, but it's become a disgrace and a derision to me because the people ain't listening. He said, it's a constant disgrace and derision. If I say I won't mention him or speak any longer in his name, I ain't preaching no more, Jeremiah said. If I say, I'm not not even going to preach anymore, I'm done. He said, if I say I won't mention him or speak any longer in his name, his message becomes a, a, a fire burning in my heart. That same feeling. His message becomes a fire, burning, a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones. He said, I become tired of holding it in and I cannot prevail. He said, I can't hold it in. I got to preach. It just comes out. That burning fire. And that's how David felt. This burning in his heart, shut up in his bones. And Jeremiah said, he said, I became tired of holding. I'm tired, I'm tired of not speaking. He said, I tried, I tried to quit preaching, but I couldn't. The Holy Spirit would not let me. He said, I've been tired of holding it, and I cannot prevail. I cannot win this battle. God, okay, all right, God, you win. I'm going out and preach again, even though I know they're going to be stubborn and they're going to listen. But God, I can't help it. i got to preach. Paul said, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And David had that same feeling. That same feeling. I was speechless and quiet. I kept silent even from speaking good, and my pain intensified. My heart grew hard within me. As I mused, a fire burned. I spoke with my tongue. He said, I did speak. 
But I spoke, I spoke from my tongue. And then what does he say when he starts speaking? He says, Lord, reveal to me the end of my life. Okay, he said, first of all, he said, I kept silent in front of the wicked. He said, then he said, when I did speak, after the fire started burning, I started to speak. And then look who he speaks to. He speaks to God. He says, Lord. He did speak to the wicked. He said, when he did speak, he says, Lord. And sometimes when we do want to talk and speak, okay, talk to God. Don't go trying to talk to the person that that offended you and made you mad and you been to talk to the Lord. He says, Lord, reveal to me the end of my life and the number of my days. Let me know how short-lived I am. Listen to what he says. He acknowledges the shortness of his life. After all it is, he acknowledges the shortness of life, how transitory his life is, how fleeting. He said, reveal to me the end of my life. He's not asking to die. Reveal to me the end of my life and the number of my days. Let me know how short-lived I am, how transitory my life is, Lord. Reveal that to me. Let me remind me of that. Let's look at a couple of scriptures to talk about that. Psalm 89. Remember how short my life is. This is what the psalmist says. He says, remember how short my life is. Have you created everyone for nothing? What man can live and never see death? Who can save himself from the power of Sheol or the grave? And the answer, obviously, is nobody. He says, remember, God, how short my life is. Psalm 90. And Chris preached on this a couple weeks ago, Psalm 90, so we're going to go back to this a little bit. I'm not going to uh, go over it again, but it says, Psalm 90, verse 4, For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by. In God's sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by. Like a few hours of the night, God is eternal, so time means nothing to him. A few hours of the night. You end their lives, this is Moses, they sleep, talking about people. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows, by evening it withers and dries up. That's what your life is like. He said in the morning, that's like the grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts up and grows. He says then by evening, by 6 p.m., it withers and dries up. Verse 10, our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. He said our lives, 70 years, we, if, we, if we're doing 70 years, that's good. If we get 80, that's really, you really blessed if you live 80 years, he says. He said, but even those years are struggle and sorrow. Just a reminder of how fleeting Life is. Ecclesiastes 9 says, every living man knows that he's going to die. Ecclesiastes, every man knows that. Sometimes we have to consider what a serious thing dying is. Now, we don't like to think about dying. It's morbid. I'm not saying we should talk about it all the time. But it's a reality. And sometimes we need to consider, and const- not constantly, but we need to remind ourselves the seriousness of life. I want to read something from this commentary, which I thought was good. He says, when we look upon death as a thing at a distance, we are tempted to adjourn the necessary preparations for it. Oh, death, that's, that's years line. That's, that's way down the line. I'm, I'm, I'm only 20. I'm going, that's death. That's way down the line. And it may be. He said, but when we think like that, we are tempted to adjourn the necessary preparations for it. But when we consider how short life is, we shall see ourselves concerned to do what our hand finds to do, 
not only with all our might, but with all possible expedition. Realize that, okay, yeah, I'm 20 now, but you're going to be 21 in a minute. You're going to be 25 in a minute. You're gonna, listen, anybody can tell you, older can tell you, I remember when I was 20. I remember when I was 25. I remember when I was 30. And keep your jokes to yourself. <laughs> Eugene. <laughs> but my, my point is, it didn't seem that, it wasn't that long ago to me. And next month, I go another year. So life, yeah, you young and strong and vibrant right now, but the next, before you know it, you're going to be 30. You're going to be 40. You're going to say, where did the time go? Where did my life go? What did I do with my, especially if you haven't done anything, you're like, what did I do with my life in the last 10 years? Sometimes we have to ask ourselves those questions. Where did the last 10 years go? Life is transitory. We need to consider what a serious thing it is to die. Not in a morbid way, but just in a reflective way. God's not, God not, God's not being morbid here. It's just in a reflective way. That's all. We all need to do that. Um, whoops. You indeed have made my day short in length and my lifespan as nothing in your sight. You have made my days short in length, and my lifespan has nothing in your life. And he says lifespan, that was the smallest unit of measurement in Israel, and it was four fingers. That's all it was. So God looks at your life like this, like four fingers. He said your lifespan is like this. It's very short, very short. My lifespan has nothing in your sight. Yes, every mortal man is only a vapor. Every mortal man is only a vapor. A vapor in the Hebrew means is, is hevel, and it means breath, Pu- breath or puff of air. It's like, <sighs> or just a puff of air, poof. He said, that's what your life is. Every man, he said, every man's life is a vapor. It's just like that. It's just a poof, a puff of air. Here today, gone tomorrow. It's like when you, when you, when you, when you, when you breathe on the mirror, and it, and it gets cloudy for a minute, and then shh, you see, that's what your life is like, he says. And the scripture backs that up over and over again. Job chapter 7. My days pass more swiftly than a weaver's shuttle. He says swiftly. My days pass more swiftly than a weaver's shuttle. Hey, come to me and end. They, they come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is but a breath. There it is right there. He said my life is but a breath, a puff of air. My eye will never see We'll never again see anything good. He said, but my days pass more swiftly than a weaver's shuttle. They come to an end without a hope. Remember that my life is but a breath, a vapor is all it is. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Book of, these are wisdom. Matter of fact, by the way, these are wisdom books. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are wisdom books. These are wise things, wise statements. And here Solomon says, I explore with my mind how to let my body enjoy life with wine and how to grasp folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. He said, I explore with my mind how to let my body enjoy life with wine and how to grasp folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. He said, life is just like a few days. Just like a few days. And then he says afterwards, 
uh, after, 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 this, after this verse here, it says, Selah, which means to pause and think about what you just heard. Just think about your life being a vapor, a puff of smoke. Just think about that. I mean, he says, pause and think about that. Just think about how short-lived, fragile your life is. Uh, every mortal man is only vapor. Certainly man walks about like a mere shadow. And that shadow is referenced, emphasizing the fleeting nature of life again. Like a mere shadow. Indeed, they frantically rush around in vain, gathering possessions without knowing who will get them. They frantically walk around. He says, frantically in vain and possessions. In other words, they're blind to eternal things. And sometimes when you're so focused on this life, you, for, you can forget about the eternal perspective we're supposed to have as believers. Forget about eternal things, being so, so um, earth-focused. You're blind to, hum- to, 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 to eternal things. Um, human accomplish- accomplishments fade. There's nothing wrong with them, but they fade away. And we should see things always from God's perspective. That's the point here. We should always see things from God's perspective. Certainly man locks about like a mere shadow, and frantically, they, they rush around frantically, gathering possessions without knowing who will get them without knowing who will get them. Psalm 144. Lord, what is man that you care for him? Repeat Psalm 8. It says, what is, what is man that you care for him, the son of man that you think of him? He's like, God, what is it? You know, we, you've created us. You know, our life is short because of sin. What is man? Why are you so stuck on us? God created man and then got, and then got stuck on it. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you think of him. Man is like a breath. Man is nothing, Lord. He's a puff of smoke. But you're stuck on him. What is man that you are mindful of him, that you think of him? Man is like a breath of air. His days are like a passing shadow. There it is. His days are like a passing shadow. Shadows just come and go. They don't last. As soon as the sun's gone, the shadow's gone. That's what man's life is like. James chapter 4 Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a a profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring. (laughs) He says, you you don't even know. You're talking about what you're going to do next week. You don't even know if you're going to be allowed tomorrow. You don't even know what tomorrow brings, he says. What your life will be. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what your life's going to be like tomorrow. For you are like smoke, there it is, that appears for a little while and then vanishes. He's just constantly reminding us of our lives and how, how fragile and how short and vain it is. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will do this, that, or the other. Instead of, and he's not talking about, this is not against planning. Okay, he's not talking about not planning, making plans. That's not what he's saying. He says we should always include God in our plans. He says, if the Lord wills, we would do this, that, or the other. Yeah, I'm, going to, I'm planning on going on a trip next year, blah, 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 blah. That's fine, you know. Um, but God could cancel that. <laughs> so, so be mindful. Include God in your planning. Don't live life, like I said, with, um, blind to eternal things, not having an eternal perspective or God's perspective on things. He's not talking about not planning, but... He said, instead of just assuming, making presumptions, what, is what, he's doing, what you do when you do that, making presumptions, you should say, if the Lord wills, 
we would do this, that, or the other. If the Lord wills, we're going to do this, that, or the other. If the Lord wills. That's all he's saying. That's all he's saying. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must live. Look, before, I, before I go there, before I go there, um, we're going to go to the next section. Sorry, sorry, guys. Here we go. Now, Lord. Now, in this section, he's talking about uh, appeals to God for pardon, removal of afflictions, and, and lengthening his days before he dies. Now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. After all of this, he said, my hope is in you, Lord. After realizing how short-lived my life is, all I have is you. My hope is in you. All the things I've worked for, everything I've done over the years, it means nothing without you. I don't even know what's going to happen after I die with all the stuff I've, I've, I've put my work into, my heart into, with all the things I've done. I don't know what's going to happen with those things. My hope is in you. Let's go. Now I want to go to Ecclesiastes. He said, I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the man who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Like I said, their, their friends are going to run around making plans and, and making, doing all of that stuff. He says, but who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. He said, I'm putting all this work in, but the person after me could come and be a fool and just mess up everything I've done. He said, and I don't know that. This too is futile, he says. So I began to give myself over to despair. He said, I got depressed about this. <laughs> he said, I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored at under the sun. I kept saying, look, all this work I'm doing, what's going to become of it after I'm gone? After I'm gone, what's going to become of it? I'm, 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 I'm doing all this stuff in this short lifespan that I have. What's going to become of all of this? When there is a man whose work was done with wisdom knowledge and skill, and he must give his portion to a man who has not worked for it. He said, I put all this work in, and then it goes to somebody who didn't do any, any of the work that I put in. He said, this too is futile. He's just reminding himself of, of just life and things that, that, that in life that don't make sense to him or even may, may make him even upset. And it's like, wait a minute. What's the point in doing all of this if this, that, or the other. Verse 22. For what does a man get with all his work and all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? What's, what's the point of all this? What do I get for doing this? For all his days are filled with grief and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night, his mind does not rest. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm staying up at night thinking about this stuff. He said, I'm losing sleep over this stuff. He said, that's futile too. So man is, 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 is going around doing all of this stuff frantically, um, collecting possessions and all this stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. He's not talking about ceasing from doing that stuff. The point is, thinking about eternal things, thinking that, think, having those thoughts with an eternal perspective and realizing how fleeting our life is in the midst of all of this stuff. Nothing wrong with having possessions and all of that. Nothing wrong with that. But just put them in their proper place is the point. Put them in their proper place. 
Jesus said in Luke, I love it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says, first of all, he says, um, beware of covetousness. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he has. I love that verse. He said, first of all, watch out for greediness. Don't be greedy. Don't be covetous. He said, why? Because your life does not consist in the abundance of things that you have. In other words, your stuff don't make you. And we know, know people, we see it in the world, people who are uh, um, engulfed with getting stuff. You know, they, they, they brag about the stuff they got. They love to show off the stuff they got because their life is in their stuff. Whether it's money itself or the things that money can buy. They love showing off. To, and like I said, nothing wrong with those things. It's their perspective on it. I, I remember when the market crashed in 1939 and I think also in 87, a lot of people committed suicide. Rich people committed suicide because they lost everything. Their life was their stuff. Their life was their stuff. And Jesus says, watch out for that. Be careful of covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he has. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, David said, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. First of all, he asked for um, pardon from sin. Realizing that my life is short, I'm going to be out of here in a minute. First of all, Lord, forgive me of sin. First thing of first importance, David said, first of all, forgive me of sin. That ought to be our first thing we do when we realize how short our life is, that we get, when we're going to die soon. Realize, Lord, forgive me of sin. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the taunt of fools. The taunt of fools is spoken words against the oppressed. And, and, and David was, you know, when you read the book of Psalms in First and Second Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, David was oppressed a lot from enemies. He was chased for years, first of all, from Saul. Um, but he was oppressed a lot. People constantly attacked David. He says, deliver me from words that are spoken against me by, by my oppressors, those who are oppressing me. Psalm 22. But I am a worm and not a man. This is David talking. Scorned by men and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. Can you imagine people mocking you over and over, constantly mocking you all the time? He said, everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. And here's what they say. He relies on the Lord. Let him rescue him. He's so saved. He's talking about God so much. Let God rescue him out of this situation. You trust in God? Okay, let's see what God's going to do right here. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. They're shaking their heads like he relied on God. Let him rescue him now. Let the Lord deliver him since he takes pleasure in him. It's like a mockery. The mockery. Takes, he takes pleasure in God. Let God deliver him. Hmm. And you remember in, in Matthew 27, they did the same thing to Jesus when he was on the cross. They said, ah, ah he, he's claimed to be the son of God. Let God, let God rescue him. Uh, he's a savior. See, he saved others. He can't save himself. Where's your God now, Jesus? Where's your father now, Jesus? Where's your God now, Eddie? Where's your God now, Chris? You're in a mess. Where's he at now? He says, deliver me from the taunt of fools. Um, I am speechless. 
I do not open my mouth because of what you have done. He says, I'm speechless. In other words, he says, I'm going to allow God to do what seems good to him. I'm not going to say anything. God, whatever seems good to you, I'm just going to, for what you're doing, I'm just going to shut up and allow you to do what you're doing. I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. It ain't comfortable. I don't like it. But I'm just going to be quiet and say, God is God. At the, end, at the end of the book of Job, when, Job, when God began to speak to Job, Job realizes he's like, he said, I was a stupid man. And one verse says, he says, I put my hand over my mouth. When you realize, when you come face to face with God, in the midst of, in spite of all that you're going through, when God reveals himself to you in such a way, and you're like, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Job was like, I was a stupid man to respond the way I did to what you were doing. He said, I'm speechless now. I don't own my mouth because of what you have done. And then he says, remove your torment from me. Removal of affliction. He says, remove your torment from me. I fade away because of the force of your hand. He's asking for relief. Relief from all the torment, the oppression. He says, God, okay, my life is short. I'm going to get out. But can you, can you please back off some of the oppression, some of the torment, even, even your own discipline that I'm, that, that I'm going through right now? He's praying for relief. And sometimes we can say, God, please hold. That's enough. I can't take it anymore. God, please, can you stop? And there's nothing wrong with saying that. It's your tone. It's your attitude in saying it. We don't, we don't command God to do anything. Say, God, can you please, God, please stop. I can't take it anymore. It's your tone that you say that. See, and God teaches lessons through suffering. And see, we don't often think about that when we're suffering. Especially the lessons of verse 4 and 6, where he talks about the shortness of life. And so, and so God, sometimes through suffering, reminds us of how short our life is. God teaches lessons through our suffering. And then and he says, remove your torment from me. I fade away because of the force of your hand. You discipline a man with punishment for sin. You discipline a man with punishment for sin. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about discipline. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, talking about Jesus, so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. It says, consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. In other words, look at Jesus' example. Remind yourself of what he went through. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That verse, I love. He says, in your struggle against sin, and we do, we struggle against sin, he says, but you haven't resisted to the point of shedding your blood like Jesus did. Ain't none of you shed blood over your sin. And you have forgotten the, ex- the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved by him. He says, don't take the Lord's discipline lightly. God, the Bible says God disciplines those that he loves. If you're being disciplined by God, it's because he loves you. He said, don't take it lightly or faint when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. 
You hear that? Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons and daughters. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? See, if you got a good father, see, see good parents discipline. Good parents, good parents don't let their kids just do anything they want, all in the name of love. <laughs> no. Good, plan, good parents discipline their kids. Now, there's a way to do that, obviously, you know. Um, but good parents discipline. God disciplines his sons and his daughters. He says, for what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He said, if, if, if God did discipline you, you don't belong to him. You're illegitimate. God disciplines his sons and daughters out of love for them and, 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 and to make you holy. The Bible says, I think, in, in, the, same, in the same book, Hebrews, um, discipline is, to, is, is so that we can share in his holiness. <laughs> discipline is to make you holy and righteous. God doesn't do it just out of anger and spite. God's not that kind of parent. He disciplines to make you like him. That's the goal in discipline. Like I said, there's lessons to be learned in suffering and discipline. Remove your torment from me. I fade away because of the force of your hand. You discipline a man with punishment for sin, consuming like a moth what is precious to him. Consuming like a moth what is precious to him. He's talking about the delicacy of a moth that is intended here. Moths are very delicate animals. And he says when God disciplines, God, it's like um, the, it breaks you like, a, like the delicacy of a moth. God's, God, God's chastisement reveals our weakness, our folly, and our nothingness. And it says, and his discipline is not to consume us. It says, consuming like a moth what is precious to him, not consuming like a moth him. You see the difference? Consuming like a moth what is precious to him. What God wants to consume first and foremost is our sin. And if you're disciplined because of your sin, God wants to consume that and not you. That's what he did in the garden. He didn't consume Adam and Eve. He could have. He didn't kill them, but he provided a sacrifice. Not to consume us, but our sin. All of our desires, our delights, are wretched, moth-eaten things when the Lord visits us in anger. All of our desires and our delights are wretched, moth-eaten things when the Lord visits us in anger. Those things that we desire and delight in become nothing when they stand up against God's anger and discipline. Again, God disciplines out of his love for us and to make us more like him. And then he says, again, every man is only a vapor. Go back to that same, every, again, every man is only a vapor. Puff of smoke, remind you again of how short your life is. And then he says, think about it again, Selah, pause for a minute, think about it again. Every man, not some men, every man is a vapor. His life is short. And reminding us of how short life is, is even a grace that God gives us. And I, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll talk more about that in a second. Verse 12. Hear my prayer, Lord, and listen to my cry for help. And do not be silent at my tears. 
Notice what he says. He says, hear my prayer, Lord, and listen to my cry for help. Do not be silent at my tears. Now, earlier David was silent. He said, I'm going to be silent. I'm not going to say anything, either in the presence of the wicked or even at what you're doing. He said, I'm going to be silent. But in his prayer, he says, okay, God, I don't want you to be silent. I'll be silent, but God, I want you to speak. He says, don't be silent at my tears. Don't be silent at my tears. His cry, his cry for help. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be silent at my tears. And one, 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 one commentator says, tears are diamonds God loves to behold. Crying is a release for us. And one, one scripture says in Psalm 126, I think it says, um, you shall um, sow in tears but reap in joy. Crying is good for us, folks. When we cry out to God, especially for help, as his son or daughter, when we're going through stuff like David, when we cry, God, God loves to hear our, God loves the tears that we shed when we're crying out to him for help. When, you're, when your child comes crying to you, doesn't that do something to you? And you don't know why they're crying. But when they come crying, it gets your attention immediately. Wait, what's the matter? Why are you crying? What's wrong? You immediately assume something's wrong, and most of the time it is. Tears get our attention as a parent. And even that's just in general. If I'm, if I'm walking down the street and somebody's crying, it gets my attention. You stop and say, what, what's the matter? Are you okay? What's wrong? Stranger, you'll do that too. Because tears do something to us. We don't like to see people crying. God's the same way. And when we cry out for God's help, and first of all, we're not just crying to anybody, we're crying out to him. When we cry out to him as his child and him as our father, he's like, yes, you got it. Yes, you come to me. And he says, Lord, hear my prayer and listen to my cry for help. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a foreigner residing with you, a temporary resident like all my fathers. What's he talking about? He says, I'm a foreigner or stranger, some translations say, with you, a temporary resident like all my fathers. Leviticus chapter 25. The land is not to be permanently sold because it is mine. And you are only foreigners and temporary residents on my land. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the Bible says. So David is saying, listen, Lord, I'm a foreigner with you. I'm a stranger, Lord, just like you. He said, I'm not estranged from you. He said, I'm a stranger, a foreigner with you in this land. That's the difference. And here God's saying, look, the land is not to be permanently sold because it's mine. You are my property. You are my land. And you are my world. It's my earth. And you are only foreigners and temporary residents on my land. First Chronicles 29. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to get to Solomon praying at the, at, the, at, the, at the dedication of the temple and their giving? But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your own hand. We realize when we give to God, we're just giving what belongs to him already anyway. Your money belongs to God. We are just stewards, the Bible says. So it ain't your money. That's not your stimulus check. <laughs> For everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your own hand. 
For we live before you as foreigners and temporary residents. There it is again. We live before you as foreigners and temporary residents in your presence as were, as were all our ancestors. Not just us, but our forefathers were the same way. When you gave them that land, that was your land. Our days on earth are like a shadow. There it is again, <laughs> even, even over here, without hope. Our days on earth are a shadow without hope. But he says, for we live before you as foreigners and temporary residents in your presence as all of our ancestors. David said, Lord, I'm just like you. I'm, I'm a foreigner. And that's not just an Old Testament principle. Peter tells us in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 in the New Testament as believers, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents. You see it? He said, I urge you, Christian, as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against your soul. Realize this ain't your home. You realize this world is not our home? That is one of some of the best news you'll ever hear. This is not our final destination. We are foreigners here. And, and, and as, as time goes on, I think, we're going to be reminded of that more and more that we are foreigners and strangers, not just in America, but in the world. Because every Christian is going to be treated as such. As strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against your soul. Because you're only temporary. Listen, stay away from stuff that's going to feed your flesh. Abstain from it. Abstain means to stay away from, run from fleshly desires, which we all have. And it's not just sexual. Abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. It's warring against you. When, you. when you give in to fleshly urges and desires, that's a war against you. You ought to take that personally. That's a war against your soul, the Bible says. Which God has given you, your soul. That's what he saves, your eternal soul. And when, we, when, we, when fleshly stuff kind of tries to come against that, they're declaring war. Verse 13, turn your angry, I'm almost done. Turn your angry gaze from me so that I may be cheered up before I die and I'm gone. Okay, what's he mean here? Turn your gaze before I die. Divert your chastening from sin away from me. Okay, God, I'm asking I know I'm only here temporarily. It's short. Turn your anger, divert your chastisement from me so that I can enjoy the remainder of my short days. So that I can enjoy the remainder of my short days. Turn your gaze away from me, God. Forgive my sin. Cease the chastisement so that I may be cheered up before I die and I'm gone. I want to be able to enjoy the rest of my short days that I have left. And that's what he's praying. So church, I know this wasn't <laughs> what you might consider a positive quote-unquote message, but at the same time, even though, and we're, as we get ready to take communion, even though this, these scriptures remind us of the fleeting nature of our life here on earth, through the gospel, we have eternal life. And when we celebrate communion, we can celebrate that fact that, yes, my life here on this earth is short, temporary, full of trouble, but Jesus at the cross 
gave his life so that my life here is not the end. I gained eternal life because of Calvary. That's not fleeting. That's not temporary. It says everlasting life. He that believes shall have everlasting life. He that has the Son, the Bible says, has life, everlasting life, eternal life. So after we sing the song and get ready to partake of communion, let's think about the gifts of eternal life.